Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of to-the-point interviews with a vast variety of professionals to help you gain the exposure and the detailed info you need to find a career path that you'll love. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Claire Robbie, who's practically my co-host at this point, since she's been on this podcast three times since it all started about a year ago. Claire is the program coordinator for the Business Honors Program at Mays Business School of Texas A&M University. In this role, she serves as an academic advisor to students, does selections and recruiting to connect with future students, teaches a class, and serves as a deputy director of a professional development program called Fellows, which we were both a part of back in the day in undergrad. I always thought Claire hit the jackpot and had the coolest job making such a meaningful difference in students' lives. So I knew I had to have her featured in the job library because I know so many of you will feel the same after listening to this episode. Prepare for lots of laughs as Claire and I get super riled up every time we see each other. Leave a review and vote if we should do a spinoff show called Answer the Call After Dark with Claire and Kelsey. We're thinking about it. We'll be expecting your verdict. But until then, enjoy this episode of The Job Library, all about academic advising and other non-faculty academic affairs roles in higher education. Enjoy! Claire Robbie, the famed, the great academic advisor, selections court. I'm going to stop because I feel like I'm going to mess up your title. I'm going to ask you to give us a little blurb about who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Um, As if the listening audience that is faithful to this podcast, well, that sounded like a little bit of shade was thrown. Anyway, they probably know who you are because you are the only person I would ever think of asking on for the third time because I love you so much. And I'm very happy for you to reclaim your role as most frequent podcast guest. Welcome. Oh my gosh. That was a great intro. I am so excited to be here. Also, this is funny. This is the first time we've recorded a podcast three times, but this is the first time I've seen your face while doing it. Mm, that's because you have like, never been no able one... to Zoom until the pandemic happened and I had to learn. Okay, that's gracious of you. What I was going to say <laughs> was you, like no one else, have witnessed the podcast journey. So it started almost a year ago. And at first I was like, wow, how, how to record literally was like Bethany, our friend, the first podcast guest. <laughs> we drive to a mutual city four hours away. <laughs> to be in person because like electronic technology what question mark don't know how to do it but i'm settled i'm settled i promise like fourth and fifth interview that we do together it will all be on zoom i'm fairly sure well this is beautiful it's working great so now i'll answer your question i work at may's business school and technically i'm a program coordinator but a portion of my job is academic advising a portion of my job is um, doing selections and recruiting for business honors specifically. So that's, uh, in general, focused on high school seniors and selecting them for business honors, recruiting them to Mays. And then I get to teach a little learning community class uh, once a year in the fall, really small, zero hours, but a lot of fun, and get to help with the fellows program. So it's a myriad of things, but that's the gist of it. That's so exciting. And I feel like 
well, I'll ask you a little bit more about this, but I feel like your role has blossomed a lot as you've grown into this career path. Um, so excited to hear more about that. But let's throw it back a little bit and just tell me what did you get your degrees in? Because you are quite the educated lady and that was a plural. Oh, so funny. I So I got my undergrad in business honors and accounting, graduated in 2016, went rogue, got a master's degree in higher ed administration graduated December of 2018 and and spent a little bit of time there working full-time and going to school. So I've been in my job full-time for two and a half years. Dang. Okay. Go ahead and tell us about the different variations that someone might be able to explore generally along this theme of, well, I'd be interested to hear how you characterize it. I started thinking about this and I was like, well, is it kind of just this track where you're in higher education, but not actually a lecturer, researcher, or professor? Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. So what I would say is whenever I think about all the career fields associated with a higher ed administration degree, they kind of fall into two buckets. So you have at any university faculty, which are the professors, research, teaching, all the things, and then you have staff. And staff can kind of be divided into two buckets, which is where we'll live. In general, there's student affairs, staff. So those are going to be um, everything from student activity organization advisors to multicultural services to student conduct to residence life, on and on and on. Anything related to the student experience kind of outside the immediate classroom. And then academic affairs, which in general are academic support services. So that's going to be anything from academic advising, the academic success center for students. It's going to be, and usually academic affairs are housed in the various colleges. So Mays Business School has academic affairs, support services, the comm lab, any special programs, Um, within the college, your study abroad advisors at the college level, things like that. Um, So student affairs and academic affairs is probably the easiest way to categorize the staff. But there's, I mean, thousands of variations of jobs within that. Gosh, wow. That, that's a lot. Also, that was a very effective breakdown, by the way, as if you needed a compliment. (laughs) I could probably go on to compliment you to on every response that you give because you're super sharp. But anyway, um, I remember, because, you know, we go way back. (laughs) I was, (laughs) you're like, please don't go there. But I remember when you were um, processing through the decision, do I go into some kind of corporate job or do I go into higher education? You were saying, listen, I believe in the life phase that is college. I would love to contribute to people and be alongside them as they are in that phase. With that, you just, as you just acknowledged, there's so many variations of how that could work out. So I'm curious about how you decided where you wanted to fit into the whole web of higher education and how you might, or what advice you would give to people who are considering that same thing amidst all those options. That is a really, really good question. Yeah, that is for sure what, yeah, I, that's exactly what I said and would say is still true. I really believe in these four years as, or, you know, however long it is, shorter or longer, they can be really formative experiences if the student, uh, one, buys into that and two, has people there to help 
formulate that type of experience. And honestly, I didn't know going into higher education exactly what I wanted to do. I was heavily influenced by my own undergraduate experience. And so for me personally, what it looked like was being part of a program within my academic college, within the business school that really formed me and really influenced me having an advisor who was incredibly important in my thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and was just a voice of peace and calm and the crazy, a director of that program who was a mentor, faculty, all, all the people. And, and so that's what led me to higher education was these people have impacted me in the most powerful way. I love the mission of the institution. Great. So then I, I spent, while I was in grad school, I worked as a graduate assistant and I was working in student activities, which was uh, the student, more the student affairs side versus my experience in an academic program. And that was incredibly student facing, did a ton of work with students. And while I loved the team I was on and really enjoyed my supervisor, it really stressed me out um, the, the way that I, came to understand it for myself was being an advisor to a student organization is like having responsibility without the control. So you're like accountable for the product, but you're basically just empowering these students and helping develop their learning. And unfortunately that was very stressful for me. <laughs> and so I knew that helped me form my next step when I thought about types of full-time roles that I really wanted to be in a space where I was able to help students, work with students, but ultimately was, you know, the person creating the deliverable or output or whatever it was, so that I had, um, was able to have, I don't, I don't want to say like control of the inputs, like but to a certain extent, right, exactly. And, um, but I also, you know, had a lot of friends in my program who, you know, they loved orientation or they loved residence life. And it's interesting because every institution has a different culture um, that, you know, plays a role in it. And so I'd say for a person who's trying to figure out where they might fit, it's really important to examine your lived experience because that's going to inform the way you show up. It's really important to examine the context of the higher education education institution because Texas A&M is a very different place than a private university on the East Coast is a very different place than a community college in the Midwest. So understanding the context will um, be really helpful for you. And then from there, try things, figure out what you like and what you don't like. And um, yeah, go from there. Wow. It doesn't sound like you've answered that kind of question at all or have practice <laughs> in advising students dealing with, I don't know, the biggest questions in life. Said like a true pro, Claire. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the progression of your role once you went full-time after graduating from your master's degree, um, because it seemed like there was like I said, this blossoming from maybe more of an academic advising focus to program coordinator selections. Not quite sure. You tell me how that worked out and how maybe even the trajectory of how you see your career potentially continuing to expand or responsibilities changing. Yeah, that's a great question. So whenever I started off, my role was academic advising and then doing selections and recruiting. So we have about just under 400 students in the business honors program. And so there's another advisor, program coordinator, 
there, we have a three-person team, a director, and then um, two of us who advise students. And then um, in my role, I handle selections and recruiting. My counterpart does um, like a scholarship portion of helping award scholarships in Mays. And so we both kind of have this like advising and then like our side hustles of different mm -hmm. types of projects we work on. So that um, happened from the start, which I loved. I was a part of the program. And so it's really, really easy for me to talk to students about why I think they should also join it. I love that part of my job. That was a really natural fit. And then um, from there, as far as the other parts that evolved, one, I had a supervisor who was really interested in what I was interested in and cared and asked that question. And um, I was a peer leader mentor for this sophomore learning community whenever I was a student. And so um, the person who had been teaching it moved on to a new institution. And so they kind of needed somebody to step into that class. And I said, I would love experience in the classroom. And so that opportunity just kind of presented itself organically. And then similarly with the fellows program, um, ha having been a student in the program. And, and so I think that that is, you know, very specific to me and my personal context, but I think a way to make it transferable is for me, it was really powerful working in an environment where I had a lot of rapport established, um, going into the job because there were, there were people who, um, knew me, had foundational trust, and then I got to start somewhere and build up. So whether that's through an internship or, um, yeah, I think, you know, you can't, you, it's really not feasible to just like find companies to work for, for where everybody knows you. But I do think it's an interesting way to look at it. Where do I see people who are already advocates for me or trust they would become advocates for me? Because that has played an enormous role in me being able to, take on different aspects of my work and explore different interests while in the same position. Um, and how I see it progressing, that is such a good question. <laughs> no idea. But You're like, let I me think, whip out my crystal ball. <laughs> I know. I'm like, maybe I want to like work for business owners for the rest of my life. Maybe I want to go get a PhD. Maybe I want to, you know, who the heck knows. And so I think from a career strategy perspective, I'm asking myself, am I still learning? Am I still developing skill sets that are transferable to what I enjoy and what I'd like to do long term? Um, that's the first thing I'm applying. The second thing I'm applying is patience. And um, the third thing I'm applying is just discernment. And do I feel like I am being obedient to where the Lord has me right now? And if so, great. I'm not going to worry about the future mm -hmm. until I feel like that changes. Yes. Oh, gosh. You are such a wise and I would say, yeah, like peaceful force to those um, who get to be alongside you as they are making decisions and as you encourage them, but also just you set such an incredible example in the way you make your decisions. I remember being so influenced by that, um, which I will continue to thank you for that every single podcast that we do together. I want it on air <laughs> as much as possible. I've never had to watch you get like give all this affirmation. I'm like, feel like I need to crawl under my dining room table right now, but Except you're so it. sweet. <laughs> you're I'll so just sweet. get really aggressive so you feel more comfortable with it. If that's even a wise tactic, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell me about some common misconceptions with this career path. 
Yeah, I think probably the biggest misconception um, is probably just whatever your experience was in college, you assume that's what it's like everywhere and anywhere. So whatever your experience was with your advisor, which for the most part, unfortunately, I think isn't always super positive or super engaging. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, probably one of the biggest misconceptions is just that um, whatever I experience myself is kind of how it is everywhere and how this role exists everywhere. And I don't think that that's true because specifically for a role of advising, um, every person is going to approach it differently. Everybody's going to have a different advising philosophy and mm -hmm. it gets to be somewhere on a spectrum between transactional and, um, I mean, if I wanted to do alliteration, I'd say transformational, but that is just a little <laughs> bit too cheesy for me. So I'll just say transactional to like really meaningful and <laughs> the advisor gets to decide kind of how they engage with their students. And so I'd say that's um, a misconception. The other misconception, which this one's just ridiculous, but I'm pretty sure most of the people from like where I grew up still like still think I'm still in school so it's very possible that if you go straight from and it's confusing because I got a grad degree in there but if you go from like being an undergrad to being a student to like working at the institution I was home a few weeks ago and someone was like are classes over and I'm like well yeah classes are over I, w I wasn't taking any but they are let me just affirm <laughs> again Aunt Tammy I graduated <laughs> Okay, that is crazy. I actually do have an Aunt Tammy, but no, she not. knows. I do have an Aunt Tammy. She's fantastic, but she would for sure know that I am not in school anymore. So well, I think we share a subconscious mind at this point. <laughs> that is hilarious. Probably. Tell Aunt Tammy hi. <laughs> Maybe she'll listen. <laughs> okay, let's go into what a typical day in the life is like. Like, when do you get into work? What do you do? When do you leave? <laughs> Pretty simple. Yes. Very yes. curious about it. <laughs> all great questions. Okay, so it looks really different all the time. So I'll kind of, I'll give the micro and the macro. So micro, I am going to walk into the office, live in Bryan College Station, live in that 12-minute commute life, go upstairs, usually like get to work around eight, spend the first hour embracing the silence, cranking through emails that came through the night before, um, kind of getting set up for the day, usually around 9 a.m. start either having walk-ins or appointments or meetings with students, depending on the day. I'd say most of my time is invested in meeting with students. Um, but then from there, yeah. Um, I think if you're into Quest. I think that um, focus has to be like my number 34. I like don't <laughs> love to focus. So I love this job because I'm constantly able to talk to this student, but then I need to reply to this email, but let me hop in the selection spreadsheet and, oh, it's time to review apps and I need to send this thing about this event. And so I'm like constantly hopping from thing to thing throughout my day, which I think might be really exhausting for some people, but keeps me entertained. And so, yeah, it can be any of all those things. Um, sometimes there's travel associated with it. I've gotten the chance to help or speak at different leadership conferences. So sometimes there's weekend work, fellows classes from 6 to 10 p.m. on <laughs> Wednesdays. Um, and, you know, it's not uncommon to stay an hour or so after work. And it's very common for me to just completely 
forget to eat lunch, but it's just because it's like pretty fast paced. And, um, and that was something that was hard for me at first was realizing like, okay, this email about oceanography class can wait until tomorrow at 10 AM, you know, like not everything's a fire. So that was kind of part of the transition on the macro level fall is very advising heavy, very selections heavy. So um, students are kind of planning their whole academic year and all their ideas for what they want to do, looking at internships for the next summer, getting classes for the spring. Um, and then we're also doing a lot of reviewing of um, admissions applications for business honors. Spring, still plenty of advising, um, more recruitment. So it's event planning, it's traveling to different parts of the state to recruit people at receptions. Summer is new student conference, so orientation, as well as special projects. So I have a whiteboard that's like for summer. Like I'm not thinking about that for till summer. And so I just throw it on that board. And that's when I do some of my heavier thinking, which is harder because it requires the focus referenced earlier. Yes, I thought that was going to come back around. Like, what do you do when it's kind of just, I'm here alone? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm guessing it turns into something more strategic, administrative, yeah. developing. Different definitely, ways. definitely prepping for the crazy that is, you know, August through May. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high-key desperate to find a career path that will be an amazing, rewarding, and exciting fit for you. If indeed you are still holding out hope that that's even possible, which I can assure you is completely possible as I've given dozens of Christians one, a reformed view of work from mundane responsibility to actually the joyful gift that it is Two, help identifying their unique calling and three the help they need to practically land the job that's aligned with it if it sounds like a dream to have a tried and true career coach come alongside you to help you confidently discern which career path you're called to pursue amidst the infinite sea of options that are so overwhelming as well as help you nail all the practicals like networking, resumes, interviews, and negotiations to save you a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications that are just seemingly such a common experience. They don't have to be. If any of that sounds extremely exciting, then I want to invite you to apply for my deep dive career coaching experience. Go to my website, kelseykemp.com slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through whatever might be holding you back so you could fulfill the vision and hopes you have for your career. I want to let you know I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and if you're serious and if you're ready to accelerate your path to building a meaningful and impactful career aligned with who God uniquely made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to book a free consultation with me this week and learn more. Okay, now back to the episode. So what do you enjoy most about your job? And then maybe talk about some of the less glamorous bits. Like if you had to, if you could do without it, you would. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, what do I enjoy about my job? 
everything from the fact I get to have a basketball hoop on the back of my door to the like crazy funny emails I get from my students to um, see like having great conversations. I love asking questions and um, yeah, just the fact that they will come in and be like, okay, what do I need to take next spring? Also, here's the other things happening in my life. Um, and, and that's, you know, that, that's like the really fun part. I think it's also really powerful and really meaningful when I have the student who comes in and talks to me about like the struggle they're having with mental health or, you know, like some other like really heavy, hard stuff and when they're vulnerable and that they feel like I'm a safe place for them to land in the midst of this. Um, so those are really, those are really great moments as well that I love. Um, yeah. I, I just absolutely adore that. I also really enjoy recruiting. Like I said, I think that um, it'd be really impossible for me to sell something that I don't believe in. But when I do believe in something, it is the easiest and most natural thing in the world. And so I think in my job, specifically with this program, part of my job is to sell this program in a genuine way, but also um do my due diligence along with my team to make sure that the product that I believe the product we're delivering really is still the best and the product not that higher education is a product but it really is the programming that we do the way we innovate the way we connect students to the things that they want to be doing long term and I really like that um less glamorous parts of the job things I would change I mean let's be very frank higher education is not the most lucrative career so if that is like a major player in your job satisfaction you know that's um something that you should take into consideration when thinking about higher education i think another thing um is and this again like depends on the institution and the department and the college but sometimes higher education can be kind of slow moving um from a change perspective versus like I just feel like businesses are sometimes forced to adapt really really quickly and I would say I think business schools are quicker at adaptation but higher education is different in that way and then um there can also be like a real um, what's what's the best word there's like a specific term that I'm thinking of right now oh meritocracy i'd say higher education is like pretty meritocracy there's a lot of um <laughs> what uh, sorry <laughs> i'm not smart enough for this conversation <laughs> no no um just uh, you kind of have more clout the more degrees you have you know oh, and, and okay. that's um and that you know it doesn't come up often but it at least in my day-to-day -day life but i think that that's something that um yeah, it's not like the lean startup where the intern and the co-founder are at the same table and, um, you know, are making the business plan together, mainly because it's a much bigger organization. But, um, yeah, it's helpful to have credentials in higher education, specifically um, for moving into positions of leadership and influence at the highest levels. So, um that if you're a person who you're like, I'm shooting for the top, that's great. Just be prepared that you might have to like do some extra things or hustle extra hard with yeah. or without the credentials to get there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm learning all sorts of new things in dictionary terms. This is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we love learning in higher education. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> gosh, I need to get so settle down. Uh, but I, <laughs> and I refuse to win this episode with you. But um, what type of person do you think would be a great fit for a career in advising and kind of similar higher education roles? Yeah, I think for advising specifically, somebody who's both relational and responsible. Relational in the sense, somebody who has high level, like is pretty empathetic, someone who's a good listener. I think that, it, I guess that could be a common misconception. A common misconception is that advisor is somebody who like has really good advice and who um, like always knows the right thing to say. But in reality, I think a good advisor is a good listener and somebody yes. who um, is, yeah, willing to let be patient with people as they process their thoughts, really hear, okay, what are you trying to get out of your education? What are your ultimate goals? How do you want to develop? How can I facilitate that experience for you? Um, so a good listener, a person who's good at asking questions, naturally curious specifically about people and somebody who's good at establishing rapport quickly. Mm. And then I think the second part of that, someone who's responsible, the reality is you can be the kindest, most accessible person in the world, but if at the end of four years, somebody's not graduating because a requirement was missed or a prereq got messed up, like trust destroyed, blown <laughs> up behind you as you walk away. And so, um, yeah, you have to be somebody who's like not going to just like miss an email and never get back to somebody or just be like, oops, you, like, you're not graduating. Sorry. You know? Just having fun. Uh, Let me give you a pep talk. Just stay uh, another year. Right, right. Yeah, that's not that's not a great moment. It's not a conversation you want to have. And so I think like both of those things are pretty important. Mm, yeah, it sounds like you're really describing, especially on this advising specific uh, attributes, um, really describing what I have come to find out about the difference between coaching and consulting. So I think a lot of people love the, well, both are totally um, valid, helpful, established ways of providing help. Um, but in consulting, obviously, or it maybe more directly advising, that's kind of tied in that word too. You're just giving advice, giving a solution, saying here, here. And maybe um, in that, a pitfall might be not necessarily a pitfall. It could get a little tricky though with like more um, personal matters that you might find yourself helping with, but like just trying to really quickly get the information so I could give you the answer and go make it your own. Bye. <laughs> um, but with coaching, it sounds like this is something that you're more uh, involved in um, as a helping modality because of asking a lot of questions, um, almost helping people through the process of thinking through things for themselves through your open-ended questions so they could realize what they want <laughs> and then based on what they say they truly want after thinking through that then you might be like here's the practicals at the end of all that instead of just like here let me tell you i've got all the answers <laughs> so i could definitely see how you being um naturally such a good fit for that role as well as I definitely would give you credit for practicing that. I'm sure that you've developed skills in that area um, would be such a, a good fit for advising. Um, hi, did you just hear my cat? Yeah, it was so cute. That yeah, was so good. Well, and one thing you said that made me think was, you know, I, I think that, yeah, I definitely wear both hats. Like there are sometimes whenever I get an email and yeah, they just need to know 
like you can take speech 1315 at community college and it transfers as comm 203. And sometimes it's this very much like you're sitting across from me. I'm asking questions. I'm challenging your assumptions, you know, like it's yes. both. It's not like every interaction I have with a student is like, wow, we like really, really <laughs> did some good work there. I mean, a, a lot of times it's, yeah. you know, some of each, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good explanation. Yeah. And I'm sure you just have to practice also perceptiveness um, when you <laughs> might need to practice more things like maybe you need to bring in a challenging element or just like, you know, mm -hmm. I think that this person just needs to be empowered to decide something. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. All those different elements wrapped up into helping people with such things as you do. Um, yeah. uh, here's like a very practical question. <laughs> what kind of education or experiential qualifications are required to get a role in um, advising selections, you know, program mm -hmm. or coordinating like you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that um, in many ways, like for an entry level academic advisor position, you don't always need to have a master's degree. Mm -hmm. um, you could, if like you were really interested in that, go directly into that. Um, going back to what I said earlier about higher education and obviously education being something that's valued, you will find in the vast majority of job descriptions in higher education that master's degree will be at minimum preferred. Um, it might not be required, but for a lot of positions will be preferred. And if you're looking for a you know, long-term career going up through the ranks, you will um, for sure probably need a master's degree long-term. Mm -mm. Yeah, so be on the lookout. It's probably coming no matter what. <laughs> like you will. Right, right. If you, if you see yourself doing that long-term, and maybe that's not true, um, but for the most part. Yeah, I'm sure someone will find some exception, but yeah, generally. Um, and what kind of master's degree if you can speak to kind of a general experience is um preferred yeah for the most part any kind of educational administration master's degree is what i see most common you know i did a higher ed administration degree but then i um i had a specialization in student affairs, but I now work in academic affairs. So it's not like it totally matters, but I would also say like an organizational psychology degree, um, anything that's kind of in the social sciences, I think could be mm. transferable, but also, I mean, I really think any higher education would be applicable. Like if somebody did a master's in business and wanted to work in a business school, I'm sure that would be a possibility. Yeah. So let's say someone knows, heck yeah, I want her job. And maybe they're already on the track to getting the qualifications besides getting a master's degree if they need one. What would you suggest to someone who wants to get their foot in the door? Great question. Um, honestly, I would tell them to start like hopping on inside higher ed reading what are the main articles are those things that I'm interested in looking at job descriptions and seeing because there's so many different things looking at job descriptions reading them seeing what goes into it um, 
and then hopping on the phone with people who work in those units. So if you're a person who's really passionate about education abroad and getting students to go abroad while they're in school, great. Reach out to somebody who's a study abroad advisor, look for those types of positions. Some of them is going to be very much like sometimes a study abroad advisor might get to like go on two or three trips a year and that's a dream. And then sometimes you're just talking to students about traveling. So what is it that, you know, gets you excited, makes you want to do that? Um, yeah, looking at different universities. Are you a person who's really passionate about access and equity in higher education? And, you know, do you want to work with a traditional student group, meaning like 18 to 22 year olds on a four year track? Or are you wanting to work with a more non traditional student, maybe somebody who's older who's coming back to school, maybe somebody who is working full time while taking classes? Um, so, kind of figuring out you know, the type of institution, the type of student group you're most interested in and passionate about. And then I think it's helpful to examine, like if you're passionate about higher education, examining your own experience and what is it that makes you passionate about it? Um, mm -hmm. Because I think that in many ways, that's a, that's a place where you might do your best work because you really believe in it. Yeah. So I think that's what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I, something that I've observed just by, you know, LinkedIn's stalking over the years and knowing a lot of people, well, really the staff in higher education that influenced me in my college experience, I have seen them change roles maybe quite a bit um, and go into different programs, maybe even different colleges within the university. Ah, mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know about that, but can you I mean, is that something that you've seen? Basically, I'm bringing this up because I'm wonder, wondering what kind of comfort could be had for someone who maybe just needs to get a start with whatever role they could get um, in higher education. And then as they grow through it and are a part of that institution for longer, they could realize maybe they're a better fit for another facet of service there and make a shift. Like, is that something that you see? Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely think that that is true for sure. And I've even seen people who will, you know, start off in one college and then they'll go try something different and then they'll actually come back because they didn't like that thing that they went and tried. So I would say especially internally, but also um, even from institution to institution, mm -hmm. you know, I would say with the different things I've gotten to do with my job, every college um, and every university needs academic advisors. And a lot of the things are going to be the same, running degree evaluations, making sure curriculum requirements are met, prereqs, et cetera. And so that's going to be transferable pretty much anywhere. And so, um, yeah, I do think that there's a lot of transferability and that it's, uh, you know, actually pretty easy um, to move laterally if that would be interesting to a person that's always really comforting mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you're not like married to this one track and you're just right like, oh, right that's awesome um for the wrap-up fun bonus question i was actually planning on asking something else but i just realized i could take advantage of your um advising expertise so i'm going to actually ask you a question to give me advice so on oh. linkedin i have a conundrum i was invited to join an exclusive group for business honors alumni with A&M. Plot twist, 
I wasn't in business honors. I have no idea why I was invited. Um, should I take it and just be like, <laughs> heck yeah, networking's good, or should I not? Where is the most integrity clear? What should I do? That, for starters, is absolutely hilarious. And like, um, why? Why did this happen? Well, I'm, I'm trying to. We've we've been doing a lot of like work on our LinkedIn groups, and we were working on the business fellows alumni group and the business honors one. Um, mm. So that is hilarious. Um, I mean, I feel like as a business honors advisor, as well as business fellows, I feel like I need to say that <laughs> if you weren't in business honors, <laughs> don't uh, do it. <laughs> but I would also tell you that I'm not going to go through the list and kick you out. So, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, who knows what I'll do then? I feel like I'm empowered with the ability to be rogue, but also being an Aggie, you know, all those like really oh, right. kind of pesky core values and such, I think I'll deny it. But I'll thank the person for incorrectly inviting me. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love well, that. Thanks for swinging with that very uh, unique last fun, qu- fun fact question. <laughs> very um, narrowly tailored. Love that. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Claire, thank you so much for everything that you had to share. Loved it as always. And Also, as always, I know that this is really going to help anyone who listens. So thanks for coming on. Well, this is a really, really good series. And I know the first batch of episodes dropped and I'm just looking through them. One, I'm excited to go listen to them all myself, but also um, to share them with students. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Bingeable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.